All right, well, good morning, everybody. If you're a kindergarten through fifth grader, you can quietly line up in the back. Get ready to be dismissed. That is the metronome on GarageBand as you're trying to record the sermon. In case you were wondering what that sound was. It was right. It was good. I like it. Well, welcome, everybody. It's glad to see everybody's smiling faces out here. We are getting ready to close a sermon series we've been in for a while. But before we do that, I just want to kind of give us a visual. I'm a visual person, and so it helps me to just look at things uh, from that perspective to help orient my mind in the direction that we're going to this morning. So I want to start off by showing this awesome photo of uh, this very famous skyline, which will come up shortly. Now, yeah, what, uh, what city is this skyline? I heard a couple of New Yorks, and I heard a couple of like mumblings, and then obviously a very um, wrong answer of Boston. <laughs> New York City, right? Probably one of the most, if not the most famous cityscapes in the world. It's beautiful, right? Well, I guess if you like tall buildings and lots of excitement, but a lot of these buildings um, have been built over the last hundred years on this particular island, which is the island of what? The island of Manhattan. It is an island, I'm told. I've never been there, but I've seen it in lots of pictures. Is it an island? It is, yeah. It is an island. But here's, here's the thing. Running down the sort of the length of the island from Midtown all the way through the financial district is this huge area of bedrock. You don't have to dig down very far, and you have this massive layer of bedrock, right? And so the reason a lot of these skyscrapers can be built the way that they are is because there's this incredible foundation that they literally tie into. They tie into those bedrock foundations and they can eliminate a lot of cost because you don't have to go through a lot of um, soil, you know, sampling and figure out what's going to happen. It's like bedrock. It's not going anywhere. And so that allows them to to focus their efforts and costs and other things. And so a lot of this was tested, um, reaffirmed really back in 2006 when the Freedom Tower was being built. So look, look at this photo right here. This is literally the foundation with these steel beams going into the bedrock. You can see how they're just tying directly into the bedrock foundation there. Then go to the next picture, Daniel. And so we see now just the, the actual foundation being poured and how it's you know, 50 feet or so below the, the level of, of the street, there's this massive foundation that's being built, but all of it really is, is tied into the bedrock immediately below it. And so two things happen as a result. One is this building is exceptionally strong, right? It's got this incredible foundation, but all the costs that would normally go into making sure the foundation is set can go into other things like making it taller and more extravagant. Right, so let's see a picture of what it looks like if you're not familiar. There it is. And there's one more picture of it. It's beautiful, absolutely. It's the tallest building in the Western Hemisphere and the seventh tallest building in the world as of today. But at the very, very base of that beautiful building you see, there's hundreds of steel beams going anchored directly into that bedrock. 
Now keep that picture up. We're going to contrast that a little bit. Now probably most in the room don't know about the Lotus Riverside Building Complex. Anybody familiar with that? Yeah, they built it in 2009 in China. As they were about to basically send this off into a grand opening, almost all of the luxury apartments were, were sold. Um, they were focusing on building this incredible thing right next to a river. Okay, so that's red flag number one. But when they were building it, they took all of the dirt from the foundation and pushed it up against the river to sort of block it and redirect it so they can you know, more easily uh, access the building site. So they do this, right? And then there's months of heavy machinery coming in, right? There's all kinds of vibrations. Everything is happening. Things are settling. And then this big storm comes in. Huge rainstorm comes in. Floods the river, pushes through that barrier, and goes right into the basement of this nearly completed Lotus Riverside beautiful luxury building. And so here's what happened. It literally fell over, almost completely intact. Show the next picture. I mean, look it. It's like somebody built Legos and just kind of laid it down gently, right? A couple of things there. One is we begin to understand what a foundation does to the structural integrity of a building, but that was obviously well constructed, right? It fell over and is almost completely intact. So it doesn't matter how well constructed a building is if its foundation isn't strong and can withstand anything that would come and threaten its way of life, which in this case we see did not end very well at all. So I think you can probably imagine where we're going at this point, especially if you've been reading ahead in our series, foundation is vitally important to anything that is being built. I'd even go so far as to say it's the most important thing, as evidenced here. Like, if there's a lot of effort and focus on building the actual structure, that's great. But it's not doing them any good on its side. Foundation is probably the most important thing when we're building something. All right, so I want to sort of keep that in mind as we work through our text this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 7. We're in Matthew chapter 7. And just so you know, we don't want to be like the Lotus Riverside building complex. All right, that's not the plan. That's not the goal. Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to finish the chapter, and ultimately, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, starting in verse 24. This is what it says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. 
We're going to pray and ask for the Lord's help with this text this morning. Father, we just, Lord, we're grateful for your word. God, for the life that we see in your word, that we receive from your word. You say that faith comes by hearing, hearing of the word of God. Lord, we are in relationship with you by way of the truth of your word that transforms our lives. God, let us be diligent in building our lives on the foundation of your word. God, help this text, this message this morning, and all of the entirety of Scripture to inform our lives, to shape our lives, to guide our lives, our decisions, our actions, and our words. Lord, help us to lean on you and not our own ability, our own strengths. Let us be desperate for your help, fully reliant upon you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have questions this morning, you can text them to the number that's on the screen. Um, not just any random questions. Uh, if we could keep it to the message, that'd be fantastic. Something you hear, something you don't hear. We'll come back up at the end, and we'd love to walk through some of those answers with you. So what do we see here in this closing section of the Sermon on the Mount? Well, essentially we have um, two structures which seem to have been built in the same area. They're subject to almost the exact same kind of storm going on. Very similar in outward appearance, it would, have, it would seem, but built on two very different foundations. Obviously, we have a, a visual of that earlier, and I'm glad that we were able to do that because it helps. The storm comes in, right? Thrashes, I mean, like, really goes to town against both of these homes. One's able to withstand, and the other comes crashing down. Now, I love, again, Jesus giving us a very clear, practical example. We, we all um, can understand what it looks like to have something that's very shabby and, and, and not well put together or not put on a foundation, so we, we understand where he's going with this. But these two very different results of these buildings crashing and, and remaining are the result of one key fact, and that's the foundation on which the homes are built. And so... Obviously, we're not talking about houses. Jesus is not giving us a lesson on how to build our homes in a practical sense. These houses represent a person's lives. They represent our lives. Uh, so we need to translate this into uh, some practical ways for us to, to live our lives. Particularly, what is our life built on? And so one is very clear, right? The, the person hears the Word of God and does it walks in obedience, everything they can do to try to move their life in a direction of walking in obedience to God's word, that's one direction, very clear. The second category, though, I think, can be broken into two kind of subcategories if you want to talk about that. One of them is running parallel to the life that hears and does. So hear me on this one. Here's two lives. Both hear the word of God. They both heard it. They both make effort to build their lives around what they hear. One is actually walking in obedience, while the other one is going through the motions. One is putting in tremendous effort to walk in obedience, while the other is giving the illusion of effort and obedience. It kind of ties into what we were talking about just a few weeks ago, and then Mike hit it on it again. It's like wolves in sheep's clothing. We see people walking the walk, I mean, talking the talk, but not walking the walk, right? We see a lot of 
people um, in the Christian community that say all the right things. They appear to be doing all the right things. And when the storms of life come or something challenging happens, boom, their lives crumble around them. So it's not enough just to give the appearance of a really nice built structure like the Lotus Riverside apartment complex, right? The appearance was fantastic. That means nothing. But the second subcategory is, I think, even simpler to identify. That's the one who hears and does nothing at all and has no interest in doing anything. That person is much more easy to identify. So main, two main categories, though. One hears and does. One hears and gives the appearance of doing or hears and has nothing to do with what they're hearing. So I think we, we, we learned about this back in James. Some of you were here when we went through James. James 1 kind of gives us a, a really clear understanding of where Jesus is going with this. So James, the brother of Jesus, gives us some practical information here to be doers of the word. Let's look at James 1, 22 through 25. I'll put it up on the screen. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, where he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Family, we cannot be hearers of the word only. It's not enough to hear. It's not even enough to know. We have to move to action. James tells us we'll deceive ourselves if we hear and we think we're doing all the right things and we don't. But not only that, we put the lives of everyone else around us in danger. Right? Think about this for a minute. And this is not our main motivation. We don't do the things of God, for self-preservation. We don't even walk in obedience so that we can protect our family. That's not our main motivation. But we, be, we need to begin to recognize that the foundation we build our lives on impacts more than us. Because when the storms of life come, and they will come, if your foundation is not built on the Word of God, your life comes crashing down around you and impacts everyone around you, even those who rely upon you and who are most important to you. Again, not the main motivation, but we need to realize that what we choose to build our lives on impacts more than just us. So we live in a world where there's a lot of instant gratification and we want results now. So certainly there's some aspect of the Christian walk where we can just fast forward, right? There's got to be some shortcuts in Christianity. Anybody, anybody find any good shortcuts in Christianity? Anybody dare to raise their hand? There are no shortcuts in the Christian life. There is, however, a tremendous amount of effort involved in the process. But in God's goodness to us, as we just read, as we're being doers of the word, James tells us that there's a blessing. Thank God for that. Like, there's hard work, but there's a reason. There's an aim. And in the process, there's a blessing of God as we're seeking to be doers of the word. So we dig a deep foundation. We dig deep in the ground to lay that firm foundation. Actually, Luke tells us, because he kind of recaps this exact teaching, he tells us, um, let's pick it up in Luke chapter 6, 
Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and the stream broke against that house, he could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the steam stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So, again, not a construction lesson, but there's some things here to think about. When you build a house, a foundation, there's these things called footings. Anybody familiar with footings and foundations and housing? Okay, so not enough of you to move on. I'm going to explain a little bit. So this is where you dig much deeper than the actual remainder of the foundation. This is where the load-bearing walls go, right? Usually around the outside, the perimeter, the, the center of the house, wherever the load-bearing walls are going to be, you're digging down multiple feet in a lot of cases, much deeper than the actual foundation. And think about getting out there with your shovel, right, in this California clay and trying to dig down three feet around, you know, a 2,000 square foot house. You think that requires effort? <laughs> you think you're going to put some blood, sweat, and tears into that foundation? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's an element of, of having to dig down deep, of, of getting your hands dirty, being in the mud, and it can be very challenging. But it's critical to what you build on top of it. Because if you skimp on this, or you kind of just go through the motions, or you like, uh, six inches, that looks like it's good enough. I mean, it's, it's just California. It's not like there's earthquakes or anything. If you do it improperly, as the, the, the soil begins to shift, what do you think happens to the foundation? It begins to crack, right? And over time, that tension moves into the walls, and the walls begin to crack, right? Now, is that going to cause the house to come tumbling down by itself? Probably not. But left unattended, it will require major rehab in the long run. All because there was some construction workers who decided they wanted to take the easy way out. In fact, <laughs> uh, in the, the, the complex where I grew up, uh, they built those houses, um, I want to say in the late 50s. Rebar was a thing then, but it wasn't like a huge thing. It was still part of the code. So what they did was they put all the houses on inspection. They laid the rebar in. Guy came and looked at it. And then when he left, they went through and took all the rebar out and went on to their next thing. So 30 years later, when we're looking at our, pulled up the carpet to replace it, the whole foundation was just messed up. Like, they literally cut around all the walls in the entire house, jackhammered it out, and had to re-pour the entire thing. Uh, and that's just because, you know, somebody was looking to be cheap. But the house, as a result, we had to go into the attic, we had to tie in two-by-fours, because the roof was actually beginning to separate over those years. Um, so these foundational things are, are obviously quite important. But again, I'm, I'm not wanting to give you a, a huge lesson in construction, but so much of this ties into what we're talking about because you're like, okay, great, I'm not building a house. What in the world does this have to do with me? Well, I'm glad you asked because it's really quite simple. Notice I didn't say it was easy, but it is very simple. 
The Word of God is our foundation. It's the basis for our actions, our thoughts, our motivation, our love, on and on and on. The Word of God drives those things if it is the foundation. And so the equivalent of an uneven foundation is a life built on something else alongside the Word of God. So I don't think there's anybody in the room necessarily who is walking the Christian faith that intentionally pulls the rebar out or intentionally skims on digging down. It's like, like, I'm just going to look for the shortest way out of this situation. I don't want to have to get dirty. I I feel like everybody's well-intentioned when it comes to wanting to build their life on the bedrock of the Word of God. But, really, an, an, an uneven foundation in our Christian walk is like building half of our house on the concrete and half of a foundation on the sand. It's mixing the truth of God's teaching with the wisdom of man. With the wisdom of man, I should say, for my air quote fans. It doesn't work that way, right? You can't have one foot on the concrete and one foot on the sand. You can't have it both ways. So the question is then, what are you building your life on? Now we need to be sensitive to the fact that building something like a beautiful home takes time. Right? It's not just there overnight. It takes a lot of time to build a home. And then it takes basically the life of the home of ongoing upkeep and maintenance. It's never done. Like You're always working to build this home. But we have to be careful not to mix anything else into the foundation because it's going to cause it to lose strength. We must be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. Let's look at John 14, 21. Because it's not enough, as I mentioned earlier, just to know what the Word of God tells us. Whoever has my commandments and what? Whoever has my commandments and what? He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So we have has and keeps, hears and does, like there's some obligation here on our part. Being doers of the word includes separating ourselves from the teachings and tendencies of the world. Easier said than done, I get that, but... The Word of God tells us that. Let's go back to James 1, 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, three words that I think are are critical to what we're talking about here is pure, undefiled, and unstained. Pure, undefiled, and unstained. We cannot mix the world and the worldly wisdom with the wisdom of God. We like to do that, and we'll talk a little bit in a second. But let's get some things put together here as we've kind of moved our way through this. Matthew chapter 7 tells us that the storms are going to come, and other scriptures tell us that as well. The storms of life will come. They'll crash against our lives. We also know that the foundation of our lives is critical to withstanding those storms, yes? What else do we know? We know that it takes effort on our part to keep the commands. We know them, 
but then we need to keep the commandments of God and continually be doers of the word and not hearers only. So why on earth, in light of what we know now, would we choose to build on sand or a mixed foundation? Why? Because it's easy. It's comfortable. It doesn't force us to have to get our shovels out and dig deep and do the work that it requires. That's the reason why we choose to build our lives on a mixed foundation. Would you agree with me on that? Well, it doesn't really matter if you agree or not. <clears throat> because that's the truth. <laughs> and we can all bear witness to that. It's easier to go our own way or to take the pieces that we feel are easy or comfortable and dismiss like, oh, I don't know about that. That's, that's a little bit too much. That, that can't be what the Bible really means. Well, no, it's exactly what it means. You just don't want to, to put in the effort to do it. And I'm preaching to myself as much as to anybody else. Because I wrestle with this same thing all the time as a Christian. I think we all do. Because I can easily justify slipping into the ways of the world simply by comparison. Now, I was trying to really think about what's a good example I can use, something that is not super over the top, but I think most people can relate to. And I came up with this idea. And that's that I think it's okay if I write off this business expense you know, so that I can lower my taxable income. I mean, everybody else does it, so why can't I? Right? That's, I mean, everybody, everybody else is doing it. It doesn't seem like that big a deal. After all, the government's stealing my money anyway because taxes are wrong. I mean, you begin to build this case, right? Mike's taking it. He's like, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. But you see how simple it is to convince yourself that what you're doing is okay simply by comparison or because it's easier or more comfortable, that's a very, very dangerous road to go down. It's a slippery slope, in fact, if we're not careful. But we always need to err on the side of truth, even when it costs us something. And that's actually a very good indicator that you're doing the things you should be doing, that you're building your lives on the foundation of God's word is if it costs you something. If it's hard, rather than getting away with something. You know, a lot of us in the Christian world gravitate toward this slogan. I think it's kind of been turned into with bumper stickers and um, shirts and everything, and that's not of this world, right? You see the, the stickers, and, and uh, um, it's kind of a brand nowadays. And it's important, because we're not of this world. But it's actually based in Scripture. I'm sure most of you knew that, but it's important to know if you've got this bumper sticker on your car, like that it's actually founded in Scripture, and it's important, and it means something. Anybody know where that comes from in the Bible? Not of this world? That's okay. It's, it's a couple places, but mainly in um, John, he's recording Jesus' high priestly prayer when he uh, is about to be arrested in the garden. And he's praying. He's actually interceding to God on our behalf. And he's praying for us, in fact. Let's look at John 17, 14 through 19. This is Jesus praying to the Father. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, 
because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus gave us his word, which is sanctifying us, making us more like him and less like ourselves. Because why? What do he say? Your word is what? Truth. I've given them the word. It's truth. It's sanctifying them. And the world is going to what? It's going to hate them because they're not of this world. They're different. They're, they're living this backwards, upside down, others first kind of lifestyle. And they will be hated because of it. Man, talk about challenging. <laughs> Who wants to be hated? All of this is happening as we are in the world, but we're not of it. Now, of course, we're living here. We have to participate in a lot of the things that the world does and offers. The education system most of us are, are involved with, and we're working jobs in the world, right? We're under the government of this world to a certain extent. But that's very different than having those things be the foundation of your thoughts, your words, and your actions. I mean, this really is the culmination of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he's taught some of the most challenging principles we see in the Word of God. If you haven't been with us, I'll just give a kind of a brief recap of some of the more challenging ones. Everyone who looks at a person with lustful intent has already committed adultery. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Lay up treasures in heaven. Do not be anxious about your life. Don't judge others. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Again, backwards from the, the ways of the world. Different. So much so that we might be hated by the world that looks at us as different, as weird. But we must hear these teachings and make every effort to build our lives on that truth. But how do we do it? If we know that, and it's very evident to us, how do we do it? Well, a couple of really simple, basic ways is that we know His Word intimately. <laughs> we have to know what it says to build our lives on it, right? We memorize it. We study it in private. We study it in community. We sit under the regular teaching of it. We do all the things that we as a church try to participate in regularly. That's a big part of it. But it's a decision that we make every single morning. Hear it and do it. That's a choice. Every morning. Every moment <laughs> from time to time. But we have help. It's not just us out here on our own going, man, I hope we make it through today. Let's look at, uh, oh no, I'm sorry. We just read in, J in John 14 that if we keep His commandments, He will manifest Himself to us. Keep his commandments. He loves us. The Father loves us. And he will manifest himself 
to us. In other words, we experience His grace, His mercy, His love, His strength, everything that we need to continue to pursue being doers of the Word. So let me begin to wrap up with Romans chapter 12 because it gives us some more practical help in how we become doers of the Word and building our lives on the foundation of God's Word. So Romans 12.1 I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that's probably pretty familiar. I'd imagine most of you have heard, particularly Romans 12, 2, renewing the whole mind thing. But he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's, that's challenging. <laughs> Just to think about that as like a living sacrifice, like what does that even mean? That means giving God everything. Giving Him your heart, your desires. Everything. But also... Do not be conformed, but transformed by the renewal of your mind. So part of how we renew our minds is by bathing our minds and our hearts in the Word of God. The Word of God has transformative power. Because, as Mr. Piper says, nonconformity to the world does not primarily mean the external avoidance of worldly behaviors. That's included. But you can avoid all kinds of worldly behaviors and not be transformed. So it's not just about behavioral modification. It's not. <laughs> that's, that's part of it. But that's not the means. The means is the Word of God to move you toward the opposite direction of the things of God. We must allow the Word of God to transform us and gradually move us away from the Word. So the, that, that's the close of the Sermon on the Mount, and then everybody's just kind of sitting there in awe. And Matthew tells us that essentially they were, they were astonished. What were they astonished about? His authority. The way that he spoke and how he taught was with tremendous authority. So, do we acknowledge the authority that Jesus has? Do we look to the Word and go, this is it. Like, this is what I am to do. I see the authority that Christ has, and I've given Him that in my life to lay everything down before Him and walk and follow and pursue now, our confidence is not in ourselves. We will fail every single time that we attempt to be doers of the Word apart from Jesus. It's just not going to work out that way. We have to rely, rely on Jesus completely as He leads us, He encourages us, He directs us, He disciplines us. All of this is part of the process. He forgives us. He helps us to remain in the world, but not of it. With the Word of God as our foundation. 
And we do this as children of God, right? As those that have been rescued and redeemed sons and daughters. So Christian, build your life on the foundation of God's word. Make that a daily effort to know intimately the word of God and build, dig, get out the shovel, dig deep, anchor yourself to the bedrock of God's word. Because when the storms of life come, that is what will keep you upright. The word of God and knowing who you are in Christ and knowing that you can withstand any storm because of who you are in him. But the word of God equips us to do that more effectively. For my non-Christian friends, this is all available to you as well. In fact, it's a part of the free gift of Jesus. So if we renounce the ways of the world, turn from our sinful ways and the ways in which we've chosen to live apart from Him, and turn our hearts to Jesus asking for forgiveness, then we receive that. We are forgiven and brought into the family of God by His grace and His love for us. We repent and we believe in Jesus as our only way of being reconciled, of being made right, of being forgiven and preserved from the punishment that we deserve. So his death on the cross satisfied the wrath against our sin. And thank God for that. So when we release our grip on the world, and I pray that we do every, every day a little bit more, I don't think it's going to be a, like a mic drop kind of thing, if we're honest with ourselves, but if we slowly release that grasp on the world, and as we're releasing that, we're grabbing on more and more to the Word of God, we begin the journey of building our lives on the Word of God. And we trust in Him fully and completely. Amen? Man, I would really encourage you, every couple of months, read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Be reminded of what kingdom living is all about. Be reminded of how different and how challenging it is, but also be reminded of the incredible grace and goodness that God extends to us to be able to live it out with his help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your mercy that's new every day, for your grace and for your joy, God, that we can serve a good and loving